attitude. We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea. Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, uh, we're delighted to be joined by William Kajani, who is the Elections, Politics and Policy Analyst for Star, for Star Sports Betting. Welcome to the podcast, William. It's an honour to be here. Um, so to begin with, I'd like to ask, how... What sort of like methodology uh, do you use to predict which way people will bet on particular outcomes of things, whether they be elections or uh, leadership uh, elections or cabinet reshuffles? What sort of process do you use to, to predict that? We use a variety of them. Uh, we use quite a bit of data. Sometimes there'll be proper models which you'd use um, for odds on all sports, not just politics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll actually just use the same data as everybody else um, in polling terms. We like to use averages rather than one-out outlier polls uh, mm -hmm. to get a good picture of how, let's say, an election might go. Um, and then maybe we could also use models. Uh, we like British politics. Certainly I like to use that. Flavable also as a good guideline for what we're currently doing now, which is setting up our general election market. In terms of predicting how punters will go, we never know. So originally, it's our initial take. And that initial take will be powered probably by trying to get as accurate a reading as possible for its election. If it's something different, like, say, um, a leadership contest or um, who's going to get this next position uh, in the cabinet, for instance, that is, uh, again, more personal opinion. Mm. You know, do, we do have um, a little team here, so we will make um, some moves regarding, let's say, when Rory Stewart entered the race to be next mayor of London. Um, we try to be competitively priced, whilst also knowing it's very hard, usually for an independent to win, and try to sort of find the right place between what we think the public will go for. Um, Stewart has reasonable brand recognition he was a very popular bet and uh, what we think is actually like to happen um we still think that the cards are big favorites and we think this helps him for example so um in terms of like future political events sort of coming up we you know whether brexit's going to happen on the 31st what kind of odds is is um us being offered at the moment okay so we are very short on there being an extension, um, meaning basically we don't leave on the 31st. We actually have, at this current moment, odds of two to seven fractionally that Brexit um, is delayed past the 31st. Sorry, it's two to nine. Now, just quickly to explain, um, if you're not a betting person, when you bet with fractional odds, um, the number on the right-hand side is what you would put on to win in profit the number on the left. And if you win, you do get your stake back as well. So two to nine basically is an 81.30 percentage chance that we won't have Brexit by the 31st. That sort of near 20% or so is basically 
if we have uh, a no deal, which would basically come one of two ways. Um, the Ben Act is frustrated, which leads to a whole mess of other things down the line, or the European Union refuses an extension. We don't think either of those are very likely, um, and we believe the Ben Act will just about hold. So that's sort of the calculation behind that particular market. Um, has there ever been an instance when, due to the odds that you've placed on a particular event, for example, the odds of someone winning a leadership contest, that has then influenced how that person has um, run their campaign, or whether if the odds are against them, whether they've decided to pull out of the race? Um, not as I know of yet. Just because people connected to campaigns tend to usually have their own internal polling. Mm. So if somebody drops out, it's usually because their internals have shown there's no path forward. Um, what we find is more common is plenty of people from campaigns and plenty of politi politicians in general will actually back themselves. Nigel Farage is very fond of doing this because um, he knows our own debate, Keith, quite a lot, and he actually had a big bet on himself uh, for the Brexit Party to win the most seats in the European elections, uh, which cost us a pretty penny. Um, I think, actually, Farage, Farage bet on leave in the referendum with Labrooks. Quite a few leavers, actually, uh, bet quite a lot. So what tends to happen is usually they'll see a good internal or they'll think uh, they're underrated by our prices, they'll come and back it and... Um, Sometimes we shorted it because of that. So, but it's difficult to know exactly sort of who is extremely well connected. You know, Westminster, mm. um, for all it's a bubble, it's a rather big bubble. There's lots of people who could be very well connected. That's part of the challenge. In terms of um, sort of how good betting is at predicting an outcome, um, so, like... I, I don't know what the sort of cases in the UK, but I know in America, sort of a lot of the betting is more on sort of trendy candidates, so Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, and not so much on like Joe Biden. Even though in the polls, Joe Biden's doing fairly well. Um, I don't know if this is a similar thing in the in the UK, but um, how do you think sort of betting versus polls in terms of predicting an outcome is useful? Uh, I would say with the betting. Um... It's people's willingness to actually stake a real um, outcome on their opinion. Basically, there's a risk on your opinion when you bet. When you bet, um, you've put something, you've put skin directly in the game. Um, regarding the betting market, sometimes uh, we can be different to the polls and sometimes we can win uh, or beat the polls. But generally speaking, when you're the bookmaker, you want to make a profit from all of the outcomes that people have backed. So we could be wrong in terms of the fact that the person we gave the biggest chance to doesn't win. That's usually good for us. You know, um, this is just a general rule. Also, the polls, the polls, the markets tend to link up quite closely. Mm. Um, for instance, we were shortest on the Tories to win the most seats and the majority at the last election, as we are now. Um, I think in the betting market, you'll sometimes get, 
think you'll sometimes get sort of people with more skin in the game, so those people believe their opinions a lot more, but the methodology can tend to be the same. And I'd say with the betting market, it's a good indicator to momentum, to quick change of momentum. But over time, I'd say methodology of polling will probably be more accurate. Also, a general political point to make, just because the polls didn't mirror the election results exactly doesn't mean that they were wrong. It's a bugbear of mine, but um, people say this about the referendum, people say this about Trump, people say this about um, the election. Um, but actually, you know, polls are used as an indicator. All of those results are actually quite a bit closer to the polls than people would have you believe. But there just wasn't very much in it at the end. Um, what Certain people uh, can argue that perhaps because politics um, is involved so much with people's lives that there is perhaps a bit of a an ethical grey area around betting on politics and betting on the outcome of yeah. a particular election. What would you say to those people? I don't think there is any ethical grey area to it. I, I think if you believe that the act of gambling in itself is immoral, yeah. then I guess you might say, well, messing on X or Y is immoral. Yeah. But in reality, the overwhelming majority of people don't believe it's the moral thing. Um, and I'd also just in general say betting is, like many other things, uh, something that, as long as you're responsible with, can be and is considered by most people to be very enjoyable. Now, mm. I know there's a particular life effect with politics. Um, you know, these things are extremely important. But that hasn't ever stopped people from trying to predict or commentate on the result. Mm. Um, even the politicians involved will sometimes bet there are people who bet on Jeremy Corbyn to become Labour leader. Plenty of people bet on Leave and plenty of people bet on Remain. Do those people not vote? Do those people not get affected by policy decisions? The political is personal, the personal is political. Everybody is affected by politics. That's sort of the baseline of living in a representative democracy. So you will never be able to separate the two personally. In terms of um, making bets, um, I had a little bit of sort of some success last election on betting <laughs> on individual constituencies. Um, in terms of that, do you think that's a sort of a good way of doing it, or and what do you think? Sort of, I know it's probably not in your interest to say, but what's the best strategy in actually making a bit of money off political betting? Um, best strategy in terms of making money, I would say, would be to have a broad horizon um, have a broad horizon try to consider arguments from both sides um, don't let your opinions of a certain politician blind you to their strategic intention or their possibility of future success uh, to put that in really simple English uh, just because you hate a politician or just because you don't like a policy doesn't mean that other people don't doesn't mean that other people can't find that sort of thing attractive a lot of people uh, missed this with Leave because they thought that the Leave campaign was insular and angry, and in some ways it was, and it wouldn't have support in the country. 
actually it did had plenty of support. Those people beat the market in a big way. It was the same with Trump. People who spent more time trying to see if there was a space for an argument ended up making the biggest profit because they were willing to look earliest and look hardest and sort of to see things opposite from their own personal view. Um, also, I would say, be vigilant of hotspots, right? Party conferences, um, the Lib Dems, they were 14, they were 40 to 1 to win the majority, I think, and about 20-ish to 1 to win the most seats before their conference. The visual optics of them bringing on uh, Sam Yima, um, of them having a lot of time to explain their policies as you do party conferences, and of course with, um, with basically the revoke Article 50 argument getting a lot of traction, um, even if not everybody liked it, it brought their odds down. People started to back them for the next election. They're now 14 to 1 to both win both seats and to win the majority, um, which is quite astonishing, I think, for one of the um, two parties that basically aren't labelled the Tories. So you can get trading chances. Um, you can beat the market as well. Sometimes it takes a while to um, react to changes. And I, I would say, in general, if you're vigilant and you're willing to be open-minded, then, yeah, there's definitely big advantages to be had. Has there ever been a result of a bet that you've ever been taken aback by? Or is it because, obviously, you have... Um, uh, internal polling and you've analysed these events in quite great detail, are you unshockable by the results of particular events that people bet on? I'd say I'm more unshockable now than I used to be. <laughs> um, we had... It, one of my first experiences uh, sort of doing this job was going to Peterborough to cover mm. the election. Uh, we took bets in the tens of thousands on the Brexit Party candidates. I remember thinking they were home and host. Um, and certainly, uh, certainly when we were there, uh, or I was there in, in general, um, for most of my time there, I thought it was a done deal. But interestingly, I noticed um, there was a bit of support or a bit of a positive mood around the, at the team for Lisa Forbes. And if you went and you spoke to them, they were very happy with their efforts. They were quietly mm. confident. Um, they thought people had been knocking very well, uh, responding very well on the door knocks. Now, I went um, into town that night thinking it was still a done deal, um, thinking mm. it might be close-ish, but um, we'd be getting taken for sixes and sevens. Then the count came, and then you saw sort of the mood around the Brexit party sort of um, change and drop. And it turns out that uh, Forbes did win. Now, that was, mm. I think, one of the results that probably actually still to this day, um, yeah, it does take, does take you back a bit. Um, I ended up being quite surprised that we didn't have an election in, well, basically either in September or October. Mm. Um, although possibly that was a really good thing for us because, purely because we had uh, six-figure bets on election in um, October election mm -hmm. in September um, and 
Yeah, I'd say I'm much less sort of shockable now. Um, just because I think anything can happen. I think it's now mm. more expected that anything can happen. I think in general, the population is actually becoming less shocked mm. by everything. Um, we're beginning to, I think, sort of, we're beginning to adapt to the alternative reality we're living in. Um, in terms of going back to sort of going to more general politics, um, we've just had the Queen's speech. Um, what's yeah. your view on what's what's been announced in the Queen's speech? Is it is it just kind of what was expected, or or, or is it like, or is it kind of some surprises in there? Um, no real policy surprises. Um, the National Rail franchise and the National Environmental Body are interesting mm. uh, although generally speaking one of the few sort of half decent things the government's managed to do has been environmental targets like for all that I don't think the government does too much well uh, they have reduced the amount of fossil fuels that we use um, they have implemented green policies I don't think they go far enough but um, DEFRA seem to be doing a, or the um, Department of Environmental Affairs seem to be doing a reasonable job. Um, there's an overhaul of rail franchising. That, I think, is really, really interesting. Um, basically, because long story short, I think we don't have another alternative to HS2. But if HS2 doesn't work, then that's not going to be much comfort. Um, and also, our current rail system, before you can get to HS2, needs overhaul. So that would be interesting. Um, from a betting point of view, not a huge amount in it, apart from the large amount of law and order bills. Um, I think it's very likely we're going to see a sort of Reagan-esque, Republican-style, 1980s, 90s, hard-hitting law and order campaign in this election. Mm. Um, which is basically this sort of rebirth from the dead of, are you thinking what we're thinking? Mm. That's important for, I think, the next election markets, just because, um, in general, winning British campaigns or campaigns that have beaten expectations in Britain have tended to offer at least one really positive element. Uh, leave in 2016 was all, look at how good things could be outside the EU, even if the rest of the campaign was actually quite angry and insular mm. um, and played to some what I think people would say were voted for worst instincts um, it, I think personally there was a positive element that Ray didn't quite have um, Labour did well better than expectations certainly in 2017 even if they didn't win they denied the Tories a victory um, the Brexit party I know um, are seen by many to be white and sort of angry once again but actually they're campaigning um, at the rallies and especially on social media was really rather positive um, it's really rather optimistic and uplifting especially their political broadcasts as well, they present sort of a vision of a happier Britain um, where everything is as it used to be um, so if the Tories are going to do that run on this high power element. There's got to be things that um, 
that people will think, oh, that could be good. And the main one is infrastructure. That's the main one. But uh, I don't know necessarily if they're going to have the success in turning it into a coherent narrative that may fail to do. Um, and that's important because they are currently 100 to 30 on or basically 3 to 10 to win the most seats. That's a 76% chance the market gives them. Hmm. Um, it's a very short price to back at, and I'm not sure you'd want to be doing it until you were confident that approach will basically bring people on board rather than freeze people out, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, just mentioning social media, how influential do you think social media has become in our political discourse in the last five, maybe even two to three years? Uh, massively important. I think now's the point it can decide elections. I think it's that big now. I would never have told you five years ago that um, social media could decide an election on, on, on its own, in and of itself. It, it can now. There is absolutely no, there's just no argument. I, I think Facebook is more directly influential than Twitter in this regard, mm. purely because there are more people on there and those people tend to span a wider section of class and of um, political background too. But I think Twitter is also important because messages tend to flow from one network to another. Um, so party political broadcasts will be put on Twitter and Facebook at the same time. Influential people will see it. They'll share uh, via Facebook and you get this cycle. Um, and the thing about social media is because it's unregulated, it literally is party political TV. Um, we pretty much, because of the difficulty of getting your hand on it, there's very little um, regulation, very little limit to what you can do. Mm. Not only vote leave, but all political parties now um, are mining data at an incredible rate. This is important for political betting because um, markets can't pick up on this nearly as quickly as punters can. If you see it's, uh, an outfit which is going really well on social media in all the right places, it's impossible, basically, to to really um, translate that into, say, a change in the polls, etc. It, it's actually very difficult. I know we have online polling, but the online polling won't pick up the subtleties of a really good ad or a slogan that begins to take off. Um, 350 million is an idea and an argument, but there are lots more now. Um, so we've got the SNP conference going on as well. Um, what, do you think that Scottish independence has become more likely in the last few years? I would say, um, long, like the short answer is yes, um, definitely. Longer answer is basically. If you'd said to a nationalist, you'll lose the first referendum, but your argument would become stronger, this would have gone past even their wildest dreams. We have a non-functioning government which is about to take Scotland out of the European Union, possibly with no agreements. Um, we have a prime minister who, and I know... That's how the system works. And we have a prime minister who has not had an election yet. Um, 
who is pushing this course of action. We have almost routinely uh, ministers of this government basically, I think it's not unfair to say, disparaging uh, Celtic nations, uh, certainly disparaging the Scottish independence quest. We also have the leader of one of the three big parties. Um, well, I, I think pretty much out, without a doubt, basically saying, I want a referendum, a second referendum for the whole of the country, but I don't want to give you one. Despite the fact that in both cases, um, it would be basically a referendum which would come about because people wanted to overturn the first one. Whatever you think about it, that's the case. So I think definitely more likely. Um, I think we'll go with, if there's an UF2, I'd imagine we'd start probably Yes's favourite, maybe four to five. Yes, uh, I think I think the result of Brexit depends on this hugely. If Brexit is stopped, um, argue for independence becomes much much harder. Uh, but that said, I think there still might be an argument for it. I think if you have any sort of Brexit, I think probably. This is a personal opinion, but I think probably the moral argument is to give the Scottish another say. Um, now, one of the uh, other things that has become at the heart of uh, the Brexit negotiations has been our relationship with Northern Ireland. And the Prime Minister has proposed that any arrangement uh, which the UK and the EU uh, comes to has to be voted on in Stormont. Now, Stormont hasn't been sitting for over a thousand days now uh, how likely do you think it is that the Northern Irish party will be able to come to an agreement and Stormont will be able to sit again and what would be the effects of that regarding how likely it is Stormont to able to sit I'm going to cede here um, to other experts basically the UK in a changing Europe and the Institute for Government do excellent work on this. And I would definitely recommend listening to and reading the work of Dr. Katie Hayward of the UK in a changing Europe and Dr. Nicole McEwen, um, I believe of the same organisation, and from the Institute for Government, Jess Sargent. Now, I think uh, just on my base reading, I think it's fairly unlikely that you're going to get storm returning rather soon. I believe there are a lot of domestic issues hmm. which are impeding it, and I don't know if Brexit is going to suddenly force everybody back to the table. Uh, but I'd say generally on this, as a point, listen to people from Northern Ireland. Listen to those experts. Um, do not disparage their expertise. Respect it. Uh, I respect sort of the analysis um, but in general, the big problem with the proposals and the pathway to a deal is that if you're, say, it's a red light storm that has to vote on it, it puts a huge imbalance of political power in sort of any one given party. Uh, plus, also, you do not know the results of a future election. Mm -hmm. you, do, you, do not, you do not know how the storm will be balanced um, by the time the next four years comes around. So you're essentially need an incredibly fast trading solution. 
Um, and we're not close, by the way. We are not close to having a solution that basically would mean um, the backstop can be ready to default unless you want to put your line in a cousin. That's how I understand it. Again, other experts will know more. Um, I think this is important for a betting perspective as well because um, in, a, in basically an era where three or four political parties are regularly polling 15% or more to vote, small groups of seats and small factions become incredibly important. So Northern Ireland's change is a good bellwether for what might happen here um, or what might happen in terms of the chances of any Brexit deal maybe going through the House of Commons at a future date. It's not impossible there's a new Brexit deal after the election. We could have more than one in um, a year or so. There's no guarantee that the next election returns... um, a majority, and I think with something like 61%, basically, that we don't have um, we don't have a majority of any sort. We're basically about 63%. We don't have a majority. Hmm. Without a coalition, and no party seems to like each other enough, I don't know where you go um, with that. Possibly to the ballot box again, unless you're going to have a government of uh, so-called national unity. But I believe, unfortunately, it's a bit of a unicorn. Mm. Um, well, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for being on, William. It's been great to have you. It's been lovely. Uh, I'd just like to ask you one question. If you could make a bet on anything, whether it be politics, sport, whatever, and it can be an impossible as an impossible bet as you like, and you would then win that bet, what would you bet on? As in if I could back my fantasy outcome and it would happen. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay, this is interesting. Um, I will go for a Brexit deal of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, we're seven to four that if there's a Brexit deal brought back, um, that's, which is 36%, mm. that passes through the Commons. So that, that's our deal forecast, which is basically 36% chance of it going through the Commons. I'd probably say Brexit deal agreed of some sort. I think we're four to one that we leave. Are we four to one that we leave? Yeah, I think we're four to one that we uh, basically leave with a deal. Mm. And um, I'd say also we get a majority of some sort at the next election. Um, Personal disclaimer, I don't support the Conservative Party, so I guess (laughs) if you're doing that, um, it's essentially a magical 14 to 1, I think it is, for Labour to the most beats. Yeah. So, yeah, and an election this year, which is four to five. Um, then, if we're going to have sports or anything, um, I think we're about four to one for England to win the Rugby World Cup. And I just think it'd be really interesting to see yeah. uh, if an English sport successfully unites the nation. Actually, just quickly, do you know? What, actually, I think we're we're seven to two or something for England to win the Euros. 
actually. If I could have one fantasy thing happen, it would absolutely be the England football team winning a tournament. Absolutely. <laughs> I think if anything could solve this whole thing out, it'd definitely probably be England winning um, the, the Euros. I think when we went to the semi-finals of the World Cup, yeah. generally everybody was so bored. If England could do well at the Euros, I honestly think it would be a really good social healer. <laughs> Well, that's a great response, and I think uh, we can all agree with that. It would be, be a, a fantastic event to happen. Uh, thank you uh, for being on the podcast again. It's been great to have you on, and you're more than welcome to come back on anytime you like. Awesome. I, I'd absolutely love to. I'm free through um, all the general lectures. I think we should have a chat. Yeah, then. yes. Um, that would be excellent. Uh, just quickly, a quick thanks to David Stewart, Ben Keith, Gary Burton, Margaret Pendell and Russ Candler, who basically between them have all allowed me very kindly to be on in the middle of the Queen's speech day. <laughs> so thank you very much to everybody, uh, David and Ben especially, um, who worked tremendously hard at uh, getting everything running here. Well, uh, I extend my thanks to, to them as well. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can cons- subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Spotify, and YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you've got any questions, queries, you want to appear on the podcast, then send an email to thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you listen to the next one.